You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining me for this episode is Will Miles, and you can find his stuff at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Uh, Will, uh, long weekend for me. Standing uh, three straight days uh, in, in Rockville. Uh, welcome to Rockville here in Jacksonville. I'm finally able to uh, knock the band Tool off my bucket list. So uh, I, I am done. I've seen all the all the bands I've wanted to see, but I'll, I'll still be going to shows. I got to be honest. I'm a little bit disappointed you have your voice. I mean, how, how does that happen? That you spend three straight days at uh, at heavy metal concerts and you still have your voice when you come back? I'm not sure that you were partying hard enough there, buddy. Uh, you know that gif of the guy who uh, points to his head. You know. Like you know, kind of kind of knowing what's kind of knowing what he's doing. That's, that's that was me there. Uh, so uh, su- yeah. so Sunday you you uh, took you took the day off to make sure you'd be available for the Monday pod. Is that well? Sunday was a weird anyway because we had this terrible storm roll through Jacksonville and the gates were supposed to open at eleven o'clock. Then they pushed it to twelve and then they pushed it again to like three thirty. Uh, so a lot of the, some of the bands I wanted to see I didn't get to see because they had to end up canceling. But. Uh, Tool was the headliner and the like I said the, the main band I wanted to see. So after after three days, uh, you know, it finally came to a culmination Sunday night. Uh, well, well worth the uh, the wait and the uh, the extended hours of it. We didn't get out of there. I didn't get home to about one o'clock in the morning. So I'm, I'm a little tired as well. <laughs> well, we, well, we feel sorry that you were able to party <laughs> for three straight days and 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 sandwich it around vacation time, Dave. I'm sure everyone is just everybody who went to work today feels feels yeah. really sorry for you that you uh, that you well, had the, to go through all that. Well, the hardest part about it was Friday, and we'll get into this, of course. But uh, I'm going to enjoy the first day of uh, Welcome to Rockville and Demarcus Bowman. Uh, the commitment comes down, so. Kind of, uh, you know, I wanted to stay off the phone, uh, so that's why a lot of people didn't get a lot of of too much from me uh, of the Bowman c- commitment to Clemson. But uh, I was trying to, I was trying to rock out on starting on Friday, so it was uh, that, that's why the social media was kind of at a limit on Friday. You got to have an hour to yourself every once in a while, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's never a dull moment. It's always when you're going to do something that <laughs> that's important yeah. with your family or something. So it's good you were able to disconnect at least a little bit from your phone. And uh, you know, if if you didn't, then I'm sure somebody you were with would have chucked it if you <laughs> if you'd spent yeah, all so, day on the phone. Sur- surprisingly, my mom goes to these shows with me, so that's kind of cool. Uh, you know, some of some of the lighter rock uh, you know, bands are also there. Uh, they they kind of hit all genres of rock there. So uh, she gets to go and enjoy herself and have some family time and my wife got to go saturday uh, and got to meet some gators breakdown listeners as they're uh, as they're uh there as well will so from louisiana uh, from here in jacksonville as well so kind of cool uh, i was rocking the, the gators breakdown hat and uh, a lot of people noticed so that was kind of cool uh, getting to meet some of our listeners in that in, in that setting as well 
Yeah, man, that's exciting. People, people all over the place have taken the podcast. It's, it's great that they enjoy listening and that they give us the privilege of doing this. So, uh, certainly, you know, uh, th- we, we appreciate when they come up and talk to us and it's always sort of a thrill. Absolutely. So, uh, let's get into this, uh, DeBar- the Marcus Bowman and, uh, some recruiting talk here, but before we do remember, you can find Gators breakdown on news slash Gators breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News 4 Jack sports team. Catch the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and Spotify. And when using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And catch Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So as I mentioned back on Friday, last Friday, and somewhat of a surprise uh, because of when it happened, not because of who he actually committed to. Uh, but Lakeland running back DeMarcus Bowman commits to Clemson over Florida, had been trending this way for the five-star running back for a little while now. And if you follow recruiting, you've heard the phrase, follow the visits. Well, after a string of visits this spring to Clemson, and after naming the Tigers as leader a few weeks ago, Bowman went ahead and committed to Clemson. After it was thought that uh, he may wait a little longer. So, Will, this is uh, this one stings uh, for Gator Nation and for a few reasons. And, you know, first of all, Bowman uh, is from the Gator-friendly area of Lakeland where, where the Gators had you know, been kind of going to get the best players from that area for, for some time now. Back with the, the Lakeland 7 under Meyer and then the trio of uh, Lloyd Summerall, Keon Zipper, Diave Hammond last cycle. And this was supposed to be a big advantage for Florida, the top-ranked player in the state, one of the best running backs in the country was coming from a school that is a pop line for the University of Florida. You know, so that, that's two areas in where this hurts the, the narrative of Florida recruiting right now. You missed on not only a great player, one of the best players in the nation, but a top player in a friendly area that another out-of-state school was able to come in and poach. Yeah, you know, I, I think you never want to grade any recruiting class on one player, but Bowman sitting right in your backyard being really the best player in the state. And and even if you look at the top five or six guys in the state of Florida, they're not necessarily going to Florida either. Now, they're not going to Florida State or Miami, but but they are going elsewhere, and I think that's a problem, right? I mean, we talked quite a bit last year about about Chris Steele, and they were able to bring him in from California, but they spent quite a bit of time on, on Kayvon Thibodeau as well out there on the West Coast. And, you know, you need to be able to draw a circle around your campus and own recruiting in the, in those areas. I mean, Saban has certainly done it in Alabama. Kirby's doing it in Georgia and, and Debo did it in South Carolina and now has started to move South and become more of a national footprint, particularly as they've won national championships. Now, you know, it's difficult to compete with that, right? I mean, if, <laughs> if Dabo Swinney walks into your, walks into your high school and flashes your rings, I mean, Meyer, or I'm sorry, Mullen can do that from, you know, 2006 and 2008 but he can't do it from 2018 so so there is a sales pitch there that i know florida has some difficulty competing with but you know i i think um you know three of his teammates are on the gators and have committed so he really has to know that program pretty intimately um you would figure that he'd like to play with those guys you really sort of have a leg up you know you mentioned that lakeland is sort of a pipeline anyway for florida it's just this one's a tough one to swallow because of where he's at and because of what it means to be bringing in the top guy in the state of florida yeah that's exactly right i can't be upset at Bowman for picking clemson that that's not the angle here at all you know they're putting together right now what looks to be an all-time best recruiting class 
coming off the national championship, multiple college football playoff appearances the last few seasons. Uh, they're the it program right now, but you know, but we'll get to we'll get to the end later on uh, in, in some of our discussion there. But to you know, to start closing the gap on schools like Clemson and Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, schools that come in and just grab top players out of the state of Florida, you have to keep the talent home and, and especially talent where you have once perceived a, a shoe in to get this commitment. And you know, this isn't because. You know, this isn't because the Gators lost Bowman uh, it, or, or uh, a running back. It's a perception. Will you, and you said it best on Twitter the other day, the, and you just said it too. Class doesn't hinge on one player, but, man, the, per, the perception here and, and the trend of not getting the elite players and, and the one that you really thought you had a great chance at stings a little bit, and it's okay to, to feel that way. And to me, it doesn't matter if we knew this was coming or not or that it was looking this way for weeks. It still doesn't erase the fact that Bowman was at the top of the board. The staff and Mullen wanted this kid. He's from Lakeland, and now he's going to Clemson. Well, and this isn't the first five-star guy who's gone elsewhere. I mean, Petit Frere a couple years ago, there were some five-star guys that they were looking at last year who who they weren't necessarily able to able to lock down. And you figured that Bowman was going to be able to sort of fill that gap this year. And, and you know, hey, you don't stop recruiting him. He's still in Lakeland. He's still got teammates on the team. And and guys' minds do change, though it doesn't seem like that happens very often at Clemson. And, and you figure that they're going to be able to keep him there. But, you know, you mentioned closing the gap against your rivals. I mean, Florida plays LSU, Georgia, and Alabama every year. And, you know, as of right now, um, those three teams at least – by a lot of metrics are still are still pretty significantly out of Florida. Um, and again, it's only May, but at the same time, like, you know, you do need to start closing that gap and you don't close it by falling behind early on and then trying to make a mad dash at the end like they did last year. Um, you know, if you do that consistently, you're going to, you're eventually you aren't going to close like that. It's going to be a problem. So, um, you know, it's, it's not any time to panic. I don't think it's indicative of, of systemic issues, but, you know, when you've got guys who are, I mean, Mullen has gotten people to come to campus who are elite, elite recruits. I'm not sure that McElwain never really got that, at least not extensively. But now he's got to close that deal. Those guys have to start coming to Florida uh, because he's going to have to close the gap between him and Georgia and him and LSU even now and then him and Alabama. Yeah, and, and going about that, you know, full credit you know, to the staff for going and getting the trio from Lakeland last year. But the hope would be that was going to ignite recruiting in, in, in Gator-friendly areas like Lakeland, Jacksonville. Uh, and there's not really a great start there uh, in, in the cycle. The top two players in the state of Florida are currently heading to Clemson with Bowman from Lakeland, Fred Davis from Jacksonville. Both guys heading to Clemson. Quarterback Carson Beck from Jacksonville is the eighth best player in the state, spurring Florida or uh, for, for Georgia. You know, that one, you know, somewhat rectified by getting Anthony Richardson, but still doesn't erase the fact that you didn't get a top Jacksonville target you really wanted at the time and him choosing a rifle when it rival when it was looking great uh, at one time to get his commitment. You know, now credit to Florida here. They do have commitments from the state uh, of Florida's number six and Leonard Manuel, number seven, Gervin Dexter. Uh, Manual from from the friendly Ocala area, but you know, but going back to the, those other three players, you know, there was a thought at one time Florida was in great shape to get at least two of the three, uh, and was a chance to really cement yourself back into to, to Lakeland uh, and Jacksonville. But the recruiting machines of of Clemson and Georgia come in and, and get them. 
there is hope in the Jacksonville area now for to, to shore that area up with a little, a little bit with the uh, Oak Leaf duo of offensive lineman Jalen Rivers, the 20th ranked prospect in the uh, in, in Florida, and defensive end Chance Williams, the 12th ranked. Uh, and you know their commitments are coming up soon. Many think they're a package deal, and it's another battle between Florida and Georgia. Well, there's another pair right there from a friendly area or a what's friendly area that both Florida and Georgia won't. So not only a need on the field here, but perception as well. Yeah, very much so. So, you know, I mean, they got Kyrie Elam last year, and Georgia clearly wanted him. So it's not as if Mullen has lost every battle out there. Got Chris Bogle, and and Alabama certainly wanted him, and he flipped over from Alabama. So it's not as if Florida has lost every battle. It's that um, it's the consistently they're not – you know, they may be sort of in the final two or final three of a lot of guys, but they haven't necessarily put together a big run of guys who've made a class that's, you know, top two, top three in the country, which is really sort of what you would imagine that they're going to need in order to close the gap with some of the teams that they're competing with. I mean, if you look at the third year recruiting for coaches who've been at Florida, you know, Zook had the number one national class. Meyer had the number one national class. Muschamp had the third ranked class and McElwain had the 11th. And we know how that ended, right? We, we know where that, where that went. Um, in terms of his third year of recruiting. And and Mullen's class, you know, right now is ranked fifth, but it also kind of depends on what metric you measure because there are a lot of teams that haven't necessarily put pen or put, you know, gotten the verbal commitments, but their their average player ranking is a little bit higher. So Florida's 11th when you look at average player ranking. Um, again, it's not all doom and gloom. They're, it, it, Florida's significantly ahead of where they were last year. They're just not where they need to be in order to be one of the elite recruiting teams in the country. And, you know, maybe that's just what the staff is right now, right? I mean, we're going to have to wait and see if the development of the program can be substantial enough to where the recruiting picks up, which is sort of what's happened at some other programs that have started out, or at least one particular program that, that's now stealing all the players from the state of Florida. So, um, you know, there are different ways to build, there are different ways to build the mousetrap and, and Florida's going about it in a way that hasn't necessarily been successful in the SEC. doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means the probabilities indicate that it's going to be sort of an uphill battle, at least early on. Yeah. And where it is right now, Will, uh-oh. The sixth ranked class, though, calls recently jumped by Florida State, who has the fifth ranked class now. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, splitting hairs there. Uh, Miami or uh, yeah, FSU fifth ranked class, Miami's fourth ranked class. Now that is interesting because we heard so much about winning on the field and, and it making a difference in recruiting, and it did somewhat last cycle. But that looks to really be the extent of it as it stands right now. Uh, you know, to be fair here. Recruiting rankings this time of year tend to be weighted more towards the numbers that you have. And Florida, with 10 commits, still have, still have a higher average uh, at 91.3 than both FSU at 90 and Miami at 90.7. FSU has 12 commits, Miami with 13, Florida has 10. So, But uh, kind of ridiculous here, uh, Will. Clemson with the number one class, no surprise right now, and their player average is a ridiculous 95.7. LSU, a team you play every year. Overall, uh, that's their overall class right now at, at number two, but their average is at 93.8. Uh, so rest of the top goes Alabama, Miami, FSU, Florida, Penn State, North Carolina, Ohio State, and Georgia Tech. But as I said, look, look, North Carolina and Georgia Tech up there mostly due to numbers of recruits. So, well, you and I talked behind the scenes a couple of weeks ago, and I shared a thought with you that Clemson was about to go on a crazy run, build a crazy class this cycle. And it looks to be a monster with it being built on the nation's number one defensive tackle, the nation's number one quarterback, number two running back, number three cornerback, number one safety, 
number two defensive tackle, number three defensive tackle, number five and six offensive guard, number four and six inside linebacker. That's just ridiculous what they're putting together right now. Yeah, we better get used to seeing them in the playoff with Taggart up in Tallahassee <laughs> and, and and the stalwarts of Duke and Syracuse and Georgia Tech that they're going to have to beat year in, year out. I, I think we can probably pre, be pretty rest assured, especially since they have two more years of Trevor Lawrence because he can't even declare until until after his junior season. XFL, um, come on, XFL, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, they signed a contract with ESPN and Fox Sports today, so they yeah. have enough cash to do it as opposed to the uh, as opposed to the AAF, but. Before um, we go there, no, I'm I'm not I don't I I'd rather him stay in college, by the way. <laughs> well, so you know, Clemson right now on the point spaces for the twenty four seven composites at two seventy three. That would have put them just behind Florida last year for the entire cycle, except they only have sixteen <laughs> recruits. So so if they sign nine more, they're pretty like they could sign nine more three star guys and they would probably end up with the top three class. So yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. But you know, I mean, LSU is not is not a slouch here at all. They've got two five star recruits, ten four stars. Their average recruit that they've saw, or that they've got committed right now ranks 185th in the country. Georgia's ranked 188th. Alabama's ranks 247th. So they're actually a little bit behind. Florida's at 276. Florida State is at 370. So yeah, from a volume perspective, Florida State is ranked ahead of Florida right now. But from an average recruit ranking. Um, you know, Florida is significantly ahead there. And then Tennessee is down at 768. So, you know, last year at this time, when you when you flashed those numbers, Florida was down at the bottom. Mm-hmm. I think they were like 680th or something like that was the was the average recruit rank. There aren't, you know, so from where they were last year, Florida is significantly ahead, but they're still behind LSU, Georgia, and Alabama by a significant margin. And the problem is, is that those are the three teams you got to go through to win the SEC every year. And so, you know, they're going to have to do it with less talent, at least, at least for right now. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we'll see how it shapes up. Uh, of course it, it, it is, it is only May. Uh, we learned, uh, you know, going back, as you said last year, Will, it was much different where Florida was at and, uh, some big targets left on the board uh, there. But, you know, if you're on social media or, or message boards all the time, then you've definitely seen the conversation of, of building it the, the Clemson way. Uh, and what it means is, you know, does it happen fast? Immediate results will not happen, but sticking with a plan, sticking with a coaching staff that stays together, and eventually recruiting takes care of itself. Uh, you know, with the reputation of, of Dan Mullen, look, I mean, that's – we had plenty of Mississippi State people, some national writers, you know, here on Gators Breakdown, and that was the reputation of Dan Mullen and, and this coaching staff. Uh, not necessarily being great recruiters, but great developers of talent. And you know, uh, and, you know, maybe it was, and it is going to take time to get to that point. You know, Jim McElwain left a mess. Jeremy Foley left facilities get to an get to an embarrassing level. Uh, the reputation of Florida is just not where it used to be. Now, you know, all, all that. You know, I can absolutely buy and agree with, but there's also the thought out there that that recruiters recruit no matter the circumstances. But it seems this staff is you know, built on their own evaluations and development, and hopefully with the rise of talent level, they can just currently get at Florida. That recruiting doesn't need to be top three, top five in the country to eventually get to the top. Uh, the thought is recruit well enough to compete, then eventually it just kind of takes over itself once winning starts happening. Now, there might be different ways to look at the Clemson way, but that seems to be uh, the gist of it. So, Will, today on Read and Reaction, you asked the question, can Florida build its program using the Clemson blueprint? 
Yeah, it was an interesting, it was, so I was trying to understand a, how had Clemson built their program and B, you know, there's no doubt that they had, they had classes, you know, Swinney's first class had a national ranking of 36th, then 27th, then 10th in 2011. And in 2011, they were, they played pretty well that year, right? I mean, they went, they went 10 and four. So, um, and then they followed that up with 11 and two and 11 and two. So, you know, Clemson built their program on on pro, on recruiting classes that weren't necessarily fantastic. Though what I will say is that when you look at Clemson's typical um, typical signing classes, they typically average around eighty nine and a half in those first few years when you were looking at the average ranking. So a little bit below where Florida is right now, um, and a little bit below where you would expect to see a top tier SEC. But there were some, you know, the year that they were thirty sixth is because they only signed fifteen guys. So had they signed a full twenty five, that would have been a much higher ranked class. And that's sort of been a con- that's a consistent theme for Clemson across the board. So you know, there's twenty in in twenty twelve, twenty three in twenty thirteen, twenty one in twenty fourteen. They only signed fourteen guys in twenty seventeen, even though they had the sixteenth ranked class. So there have been a lot of elite guys who've come into that program, and they haven't necessarily signed 24, 25, 26 guys every year. However, I still think you can say that they're recruiting. I mean, if you compare Clemson's recruiting to Alabama, um, Clemson has certainly had inferior recruiting to Saban. Um, I think they've gotten a little bit fortunate in terms of being able to hit on quarterbacks. So Taj Boyd, Deshaun Watson, and now Trevor Lawrence, basically all spaced out about four or five years where they've sort of been able to keep the momentum going because they've had those quarterbacks hit. And then the other thing is they've had some elite guys. So, you know, in Swinney's first year, he didn't sign any five stars. In his second year, he didn't sign any five stars. But in his third year, he signed three of them. And he had five top 100 guys in that class. And he had eight top 200 guys in that class. And that was really sort of the basis of what he did over the next three or four years. And I think that's kind of what you think you might need to see at Florida this year is is those sorts of guys and and and, you know, guys ranked 10th, 15th, 20th in the country. They've got a few guys who are in the 40th, 40th to 70th range, but they're going to have to add three or four more, more of those guys to really get to the point where they can compete in the SEC. But, you know, the bigger factor that I wanted to look into was just conference strength mm-hmm. and the idea that if you're in the ACC, who are you actually playing? And, and the one stat that really jumped out to me was that when I looked at 2011, that Clemson would have played two teams that had more talent, according to the 24-7 composite, um, you know, for the free- previous four years. Had they played Florida's schedule, they would have had to play eight teams that had more talent than they did. And that's really what this boils down to is, yeah, you can get away with the 10th or the 12th um, national recruiting class in the ACC because it's the second recruiting class in the conference, which means you only have to, you know, when Florida State has a couple of down years, all of a sudden you have the opportunity to go undefeated. Whereas if LSU has a down year, well, Florida still has to play Georgia and Florida State and Alabama and, and you know, all the other teams and Tennessee and all the other teams they have to play. Tennessee has been down for a decade now, but you still have, you know, but LSU has gotten much better in that time. So um, the gauntlet in the SEC is the reality is there's just a lot of teams that have talent that's equivalent or better than what Clemson would have coming in at national recruiting ranks of 27th and 10th and 20th and 15th, like they did 2010 through 2013. It doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means that the probability gets a lot lower as you, as you go. So, um, you know, I had looked at actually doing the probability calculations, going back into my old statistics book and looking, you know, what, if, if you had, um, you know, if your team has a 50% win probability over the course of a season, basically you have a 0.2% chance of going 12 and one. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you got a 70% win probability, well, now you've got like a, 
three or four percent chance of 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 going twelve and one. And that's really what you need. Same thing if you only have three games that you have to play against um, against teams that are more talented, you probably win those about thirty two percent of the time. If you've got you know just the typical rate of top 10 teams, they win about 38% of those games. So to go two and one's pretty easy, relatively easy, you know, about 30% of the time. If you got to play five of those games, now that drops down to 7% that you would go four and one. So really what you're talking about is 93% of the time, if you got to play five games versus three against more talented teams, you're going to be out of the running just because the likelihood is you're going to go three and two. And even that's a pretty good season, right? And I think that's one of the things that we see in the SEC over and over and over again is that there's a lot of attrition where, you know, LSU took out Georgia last year, Georgia beat Florida, and all of a sudden now you're looking at the end of the year and Georgia doesn't get into the playoff because they had lost to LSU. And I think that's kind of one of those one of those things that you can attribute to LSU and Georgia have similar talent. I mean, I think Georgia has more talent, but LSU was able to pull off the upset and that, and that really puts Georgia in a position where once, the, once they lost the second game, they just weren't going to be able to make the playoff. Yeah, if people listened to the the podcast a couple of weeks ago when the when the FBI came out, and we we kind of talked about this a couple of weeks ago in regards to Clemson. But simply put, it is easier in the ACC now. I'm not saying they still wouldn't be successful in the SEC, but it is easier in the ACC. It, it's kind of just common sense there. Look, they, they've went undefeated twice in the last four years in the conference, but you know also some inexcusable losses in the regular season to Syracuse and, and Pitt in the other two there, but still managed to win the, the national championship in one of those years. So you know, I, I still think it's fair to wonder and, and how they would fare in the SEC when you you know might have to have back to back tough games instead of just one big game in a four or five week stretch. You know, I will stand by you know Florida will have to recruit better than Clemson did to build simply because Florida is in the SEC. Now, how well is the question, I think? You know, how well does Florida have to recruit? I do believe Dan Mullen is a is a great game day coach and developer of talent, but it's different when, you know, FSU was pretty much the only competition for Clemson in, in conference, when Florida's dealing with the likes of Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Auburn, now Texas A&M, recruiting better or just as well as you. You know, it's a hard, hard pill to swallow, but Clemson is building – and did build in the ACC with, with and building right now in the ACC with players you should be getting that would be closing that talent gap against those teams I just mentioned. Well, I mean, and I mean, if, if we stipulate that you got to win the SEC to make it to the playoff, and that's not necessarily true because Georgia won the SEC, but then Alabama was able to make it in the playoffs. But if you look at the national ranking for teams that make the playoffs, it's 10.2. From a for recruiting, and the conference rank is two point zero, and they average eight and a half five stars over the four years prior to to making the playoffs. If you subtract Alabama, because you say okay, they're dominating everything. Well, now you're at thirteen point two for a national rank average, two point four conference rank, and four point seven five stars. But when you get to the final two. Now the national rank is seven, the conference rank is two, and you got 12 five-stars. And then if you go to the champion, it's 5.9 is the national rank, 1.5 is the conference rank, and 12.8 five-stars on those teams that win. I mean, 16 out of the 20 have a top 10 national class. 20 out of 20 have a top three conference rank um, in those four years. Um, five out of five champions have a top 10 class. Four out of five champions have a top one conference. Only Clemson in 2016, and they had a second, you know, they were second in their conference a couple of times. Um, you know, nine out of 10 of the final two have a top 10 national class, and uh, 10 out of the 10 of the final two have a top two conference class. So if you want to win a championship, 
um, it's telling you, you know, the data thus far is telling us that you really need to be in that top two or top three of your conference, even to be in the conversation. And in the SEC, that's just a difficult thing to do. It doesn't mean, you, you know, because if you look at the SEC from 2015 to 2018, the average national rank of the third team in that conference is 6.3. Whereas the Big Ten, it's 18.3, the Pac-12, it's 17.0, the ACC, it's 18.3, and the Big 12, it's 31.5. So, you know, if you got a team, you know, Oklahoma has has done a great job of making it to the playoff, but let's not pretend that they have had a path that's even remotely equivalent to some of the teams that they've had to play once they've gotten there. I mean, they just have not. And, that, and that's the reality of being in the SEC. It's part of why the SEC is so much fun. But it also is indicative of, of sort of the markers you need to see from a recruiting perspective if you really want to compete. And so, you know, does Florida have a shot to make the playoff this year? Uh, yeah, they do, because if you win the SEC, you're going to have a chance. But it's going to require some, uh, some significant uh, – um, it's going to require something that hasn't happened in the conference yet thus far. Yeah, you know, but part of this, you know, is just – where it stands right now, enjoy the process of, of you know trying to of trying to build it because it's not going to happen overnight. That's pretty that's pretty clear, and it was going to be tough to do that in the first place uh, with what Alabama, Clemson, uh, and Georgia are doing on the trail. And you know, it, uh, Dan Mullen proved last year uh, what he could do on the field uh, and, and kind of a quick turnaround. Uh, now we just kind of see uh, what you know what type of type of talent. Uh, he, he needs to close the gap there. But, uh, Will, I got some uh, tweets from Friday. You ready to get into those? Sure. All right. So from uh, Taylor Chase says, he says, no way to spin it. We have a lot of good coaches on this staff, but they're bad at recruiting. I don't care how hot Clemson is right now. You don't lose kids from Polk who grew up idolizing Chris Rainey. Uh, well, I guess that is part of it is, you know, why did you – know, we kind of hit a little bit, but, you know, why did Bowman choose Clemson? Uh, and there's a lot of reasons people want to throw out there. Number one being they're, they're winning. They're winning national championships. We hit on that. But facilities is another thing that came up uh, a lot and the importance of that. And like to me, and I, I, I still – there's been some research out there too. That's not probably one of the top aspects that a recruit's looking at. I think it's important. That's one reason everybody's doing it. But I don't think it's the end-all, be-all. I think it may gain interest from a recruit. It may be a tiebreaker somewhere along the way for some recruits. But, you know, it, of course, it is a combination of things. But the facilities was probably one of the top-ranked uh, reasons or excuses that Bowman chose Florida. I know he mentioned it, but I still wouldn't think it would be uh, for most of the top recruits. It's, hey, can you get me into the league? Can we go win? Uh, I, I still I, I don't think facilities are that huge of an impact on recruiting. Yeah, well, you know, our our, our friend Bill Sykes posted something on the twenty four seven message boards a couple of days ago, sort of detailing this and looking at the facilities and and you know, it doesn't preclude you from being excellent recruiters. I think Texas has been yeah. pretty low on those rankings. Florida State had been pretty low on those rankings, and it still had pretty good recruiting classes. So, I mean. I, 
yes, every little bit helps. But I think when you're talking about facilities, you're really talking about differences at the margins, yeah. right? I mean, you're talking about a recruit or two. You're not talking about 25 of them. Um, you're talking about your ability to sell. And and part of that is facilities. Part of that is your vision for what the program is going to be. So, yeah, that plays a role. I, I mean, I think, again, I think if, if, if I were to imagine how, how Swinney is selling his program right now, it's just he's flashing rings, yeah. right? I mean, <laughs> that's how I'd sell the program. And and that's certainly, I'm sure, how Saban has sold Alabama ever since they started winning consistently there as well. And you know, it's no shame in losing a recruit to to Clemson or to Alabama, but in order to compete with those guys, you're gonna have to win some of those battles, and and you're gonna have to win some of the some of the really important ones. I mean, it's not a coincidence that when Urban Meyer came in, you know, Tim Tebow chose Florida over over Alabama. What would have happened if Tebow had gone to Alabama? I don't know that you have the same result at Florida. I mean, those guys are important; they make a big difference. And so, um, Mullen's got to get some of them, but. Again, when you when you look at facilities, Bill actually did a pretty good job there. I, I you know, I advise people to go take a look um, of just sort of outlining what the rankings are. And again, I think it's probably more on the margins than it is the reason. All right, Mark Nicholas here with the next tweet. Uh, he says, "Kids want to play for the champs." I don't know what else to say. This is a very bad loss. Uh, Daniel Cannon says, "Build a consistent winning culture with updated facilities, and the tides will turn." Um, Bill, that's another thing. He does mention consistent winning culture, and I kind of did mention it earlier in the season. You know, with winning on the field uh, would fix a lot of the issues. And I think that was kind of step one a little bit for recruiting to kind of get away from what Jim McElwain was doing and what we currently see under Dan Mullen. Sure. I mean, I think that's sort of what we said last year is that we didn't expect the 2018 season to affect the 2019 class very much, but expected it to impact the 2020 class. I think we've seen a little bit of that, probably not as much as I expected. I mean, I sort of expected the 10 and three season to really hold some weight with some of these guys, somebody like Carson Beck, you know, saying, Hey, I'm going to join this, this movement because I'm right nearby. This is a place I'd like to play. And, and uh, you know, I see what Mullen's doing and you don't necessarily get that, but um, you know, Anthony Richardson's a good player. So I don't think that's too big of a concern, at least for the coaches. But, uh, you know, I, I think I struggle to see. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, at the end of the day, they're going to have to win some of these, Dave. Yeah, I mean, they, they are. They are, really, are going to have to win uh, some, of the, some of these big battles. Uh, let's get into some of these other uh, tweets here. Got a long list of them. Uh, Slim Gators says, not sure if this is the standard Mullen was talking about. This is an embarrassing loss. Um, part of it, Will, and I, I do want to get to this part too. Uh, it is a running back, and Florida is deep at running back, but we don't know what after this year holds. You know, Michael P. Ryan's definitely gone. Uh, Say Malik Davis has a great season, kind of something we maybe expected last year. Say he has a really good season. He decides to bolt as well. Then you're losing two running backs. Look, this is two seasons, two recruiting classes, two cycles in a row where, hey, look, a year ago we were thinking Florida had a great shot at Trey Sanders. He chooses Alabama. A few months ago we were thinking Florida had a great chance at Demarcus Bowman. He chooses Clemson. Uh, you know, this was not set in stone yet. We got to wait till February, but this is two cycles in a row now where we know this staff has went all out on trying to get these guys on the campus. And, you know, while running back, you know, Urban Meyer didn't have a, a standout running back uh, with Dan Mullen as the offensive coordinator. So, I don't, you know, yes, can he be a difference maker on the field? I think he can be. Is he absolutely needed? No, but for, like I said, for perception reasons and because I know they put so much work into trying to get him in the fold – and it just didn't happen. 
Yeah, I mean, they're going to be fine, right? I mean, the, the running back position may end up being a little bit thin at some point, but they had Naquan Wright last year. They've added, you know, they had Clement and Pierce the year before. So it's not as if they have nobody there. I, it, but again, I think every year you want to bring in blue chip guys at every position if you have the opportunity. And and this was an opportunity to add somebody who could be truly special. And, you know, uh, people will say, oh, he's just a running back. But uh, <laughs> but Cook at Florida State a few years ago, um, he would have been a nice addition to have on Florida's roster rather than having to face him against Florida State yeah. every year. So And, and, Cle- and Clemson clearly wanted him because he got him. They got him. So, <laughs> yeah. so you know, I mean, again, I, I don't think you ever want to – it's it's not – I don't think it's embarrassing. I think that's maybe the wrong word. I think it's just disappointing, right? Yeah. Like yep. you, you expect that Lakeland pipeline to deliver – to Gainesville when you have a when you have a coach who's winning when the coach proves that he can win with a previous with players from the previous staff where they had issues winning and when you see the development of the quarterback and you see the development of the offense you expect that to translate into recruits coming from local schools and to see somebody go to Clemson is disappointing but it's not embarrassing i mean at the end of the day you're going to lose some of these battles and this is just one they lost yeah somebody replied with also when i when i threw out uh, Bowman's commitment um, throughout the question, does this does him making this decision now help with Kayvon Lee in any way? And that comes with from from Carl. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I know LSU's thrown into the mix there, and the way they're recruiting right now, I'm sure has Lee's attention. Uh, the once you know Gator running back commit, I I like him. He's just maybe if you're splitting hairs, a, a hair below uh, what Bowman brings to the table. But I know a lot of people out there I trust who really like what Lee brings to the table. I'd love to get him back in the fold. I wanted him in the, in the fold anyway. I never wanted him to decommit. I was wish he'd still be part of the class. Uh, but you know, I don't want to say a constellation prize by any chance because that's not exactly that's that is totally not what it is uh, there. So a lot of people are asking, and maybe this is a a good thing. Maybe he didn't want to split carries with Bowman. Maybe he thought Bowman was going to be a Gator at one time and kind of wanted to start exploring his options. Uh, just in case that happened, but getting Lee back in the fold, I think, is a is a must right now. Will. Yeah, well, it goes back to sales, right? I mean, how do, I, I I wonder sometimes how Kirby or how or how Debo or how Nick, or, you know, how Saban is able to convince five guys who are all five stars at the same position to come in in the same year, and and there's a sales component to it, and that's part of what this is. So it's going to be the same thing on the back end, right? Bowman decides to commit to Clemson, and now what's your sales pitch to Lee? when you go and see him because you had him committed there. You obviously have relationships with him. Hopefully you've been following up and keeping in close communication with him, even as he decommitted. And, uh, you know, the, the hope is that the relationship there is strong enough that you can bring him back in. But, you know, these things are dynamic. They're 17 and 18 year old kids and you never really know um, where their heads are, which is why everybody always says it's only May. Yeah. And uh, call me Cam would be the last one here. Uh, but he really does bring up a good point. Um, yeah, we kind of had had an exchange there, and um, because a lot of kids were wishing they would be, they they came to Gainesville. Either way, we're on the fast track, and of course, I, I responded with, "Well, we can get there faster if we get these type of players." Uh, but he says, "But at the end of the day, you can't force a kid to go somewhere his heart uh, ain't at." I'm sure Dan and company did all they could to sway him. If being close to home and family and friends ain't enough, I don't know what more the staff could have done. And, and that's a, a good point. And like I said, the very Gator friendly area. I'm sure he has family, friends, of course, that he played with on, on a state championship winning team that are all Gator. He's going to be hearing Gator whispers for the you know next few months. So maybe maybe eventually down the road, like we say, Clemson, when you, usually when you commit to Clemson, you don't decommit. They don't have too many of those. Um, but it, there, there are 
there's there are aspects there where he, if he was already willing to choose Clemson now, uh, maybe maybe it was just a, a hard sell. You know, we kind of mentioned the depth of there. There probably is a faster. You know, I, I hate to say it or maybe even use it as, use it as an excuse, but there probably is a faster track to get on the field and, and play at Clemson uh, as the number one running back. You know, you got Damian Pierce here uh, who for all his freshman season showed, showed promise. I don't think Bowman would, would be, would come on campus and necessarily be day one starter uh, it, 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 when he signs or if, if he signed with Florida, but the Travis Etienne from, from Clemson will be gone. Uh, there won't be a lot of competition And he, Hey, look, they could also sell, they could got, he can get one year of playing with Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I do resonate with the idea that if his heart was set on going someplace else, then, you know, you're going to have a hard time convincing him otherwise. I mean, you know, when you're that kind of guy and you have that sort of ability to choose, and I think you saw this a little bit with Chris Steele, right? I mean, you know, he's out on the West Coast, but he decided to come to Florida probably because he wanted an adventure. And, you know, sort of the same thing with 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 Bowman, maybe. He just wants to see what he can do against the best, and he's going to get an opportunity there at Clemson with some of those guys who are, who are really highly rated on a national championship team. And I think you see the same thing in Alabama, where guys go there to see how they pan out against that sort of competition. So, um, you know, you, you don't – again, I, I don't think you want to rate – any recruiting class on one player. It's just, you know, this has become something that has been a little bit more of a trend with these elite guys. And, and that's going to have to stop pretty soon. Yeah. Okay. uh, Kind of my final thought on it too. You know, this isn't to say Mullen can't be one of those uh, recruiting and then go win uh, outliers there. You know, the, the, the players we discuss are so big because these are the highly ranked players that Florida is missing on that they targeted. We know these players were important and and we're near the top of the board for the staff. And it's not like we're making up the concern uh, out there. These are players Florida wanted. So it would be nice to see Dan Mullen with a group of elites uh, on the roster, the the path of least resistance here. That's kind of what I, that was my thought uh, last Friday. You know, it affords a time where you might can have an off day on the field or, or call in plays, but talent, wins out in the end you know, when the talent level uh, is below the competition and you're asking for everything to have to go perfect and that, that's pretty hard to achieve consistently and I, i'd love to see mullen and, and staff accomplish that but it's tough uh you know the, 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 there's rankings out there that, that have mullen as one of the top coaches in college football and but can you imagine when he has the top talent to pair with that uh, it would be tough for anyone to match. And I said when he was hired that it would probably be the approach of recruiting, taking some time, but it still stings when you see the potential of having elite talent and it just escapes you. So I'm here for the ride, though, uh, and we'll enjoy watching the process and, and hopefully the progress will. Yeah, I mean, I, I think all of us hope that that Florida can, divide, can defy the odds and that Mullen can. In fact, I think if anything, that says something about his coaching ability if he's able to. And the other thing I would say is that it depends on what your definition of success is, right? Yeah. So teams like Auburn have come up and won the SEC with recruiting that's very similar to what Florida has done over the past three or four years. Um, every once in a while when they've been able to get a transcendent quarterback or when, when they've been able to clip Alabama when maybe they had some weaknesses. And and so it's not as if Alabama has won the SEC championship every year since Saban took over, even though they've won the recruiting battle every year since Saban took over. And so they're not unbeatable. It's just that it's not a consistent thing, right? So if your goal for the University of Florida is consistently being in the running, basically being the Alabama of the conference, then the, then it's problematic to see recruiting um, lagging behind teams like Alabama and Georgia. 
if success is consistent 10 and 3, 11 and 2 seasons and every once in a while clipping Georgia, then, you know, I think there's more than enough evidence to indicate that Mullen's going to be able to do that. The question is, is he going to be able to build a consistent winner over time um, where Florida is the beast and Georgia is the one trying to play catch up? Or is it going to consistently be Georgia sort of in the lead and, and Florida trying to play catch up? And, you know, again, depending upon what you want to see from the program, I think sort of indicates what your how you see it through these, you know, what glasses you're looking through de- determines whether you're whether you're concerned or whether you're contented with what you're seeing. I mean, you know, the ninth rated class last year is a very good recruiting class. I don't happen to think it's good enough to consistently compete in the SEC based on some of the things we talked about earlier in terms of, you know, being fourth or fifth in the conference. But that doesn't mean you can't be a very good team. It doesn't mean it can't be a whole lot of fun. And it doesn't mean that every once in a while you can't go above those expectations. It just means that it becomes harder to do. And then it's sort of, you know, if Mullen's able to do it, you give him all the credit in the world because he's done something that most coaches aren't capable of. Yeah, and most of my thoughts here come from, and we said it before, we're fans first. Uh, my thought came from from the fan perspective. You know, this one this one did hurt. <laughs> like I said, it was a couple months ago where we thought Beck was in the fold. We thought uh, that Marcus Bowman was in the fold, and especially Bowman. Yeah, you know, uh, of course, it was after the Lakeland Trio last year. Okay, yeah, we got this thing going now. We're, we're rolling here. Uh, and then once Clemson started kind of putting their foot on the gas and he started taking those visits and I was like, Oh no, here it goes. <laughs> so so you know, as a fan, that, that, that this is where it hurts. Uh, you know, just a guy you thought you had and then ouch. Uh, I mean, they, they even pushed the timeline up. He was going to wait uh, a little while. He was going to wait either before, I think either later in the summer or before the season started uh, there. And they impressed him so much where he just wanted to go ahead and, uh, and call it for the Tigers. Well, good for him. Let's 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 meet him in a couple of years in the in the playoffs. There we go. Show him he should have picked Florida. You know, I mean, I'm never going to stop rooting for Florida, but it also doesn't mean that I'm going to ignore the evidence that's out yeah. there. And so you look at the evidence and you say, hey, this is what it says. It's it's not set in stone. It's a matter of probabilities. And then you go, okay, as a fan, now I'm going to put my fan hat on on the weekend, root like hell for Florida, and and you know hope that Mullen can overcome those odds. But in fact, if anything, as a numbers guy, to me, that's what'll make it sweeter. Right? Is when yeah. is when you look at it and say every every bit of analysis i've done says that this should be impossible but they're doing it anyway that's pretty cool as opposed to you know i I do wonder i don't know i'd have to ask somebody that i know who's an alabama fan is it even any fun to watch anymore yeah i mean where the expectation is 15 and 0 i'd like to find out i'd like to find out though you know, I mean, last year, that, well, I would too. And, and we lived through that a little bit back yeah. in 2006 and 2008, right? But um, the 2009 season, I remember some of the games where Florida yeah. were not there being disappointed in the way the team won. You know, yeah. oh, we only won by 24 points. Right. And, you know, if you asked me over the last decade what my favorite season has been, it'd be 2012 where nothing yeah. was expected. They were winning games by like six points, you know, shutting down Johnny Manziel in the second half. Driscoll hits like one pass the entire game, but it's the long bomb for the touchdown and they end up winning. I mean, you know, the Treon Harris game where they only have, where he only throws the ball three times. I know that was in a crappy season, but still, you know, those types of things, the things you don't expect are the reason you watch. I mean, you look at the numbers to try to suss out what'll happen and, and and try to understand it a little bit better. But at the end of the day, the outliers are what make it fun. And so well, uh, that's why the 2006 national championship was so fun. We were supposed to go out to Arizona and get our brains beat in by Ohio state, but 
turns he turns around you know 41 14 and that championship so special because like you said it was kind of unexpected you know for, for the nation gator fans were kind of confident uh going into that game but nobody expected florida to go in especially well, that season as well uh nobody fought expected florida to, to go in and, and represent the east and win the sec championship and then go destroy uh ohio state when they were kind of just squeaking by sec teams throughout the year yeah, and if you're an Alabama fan right now, I mean, what what do you what do you complain about? Like, there's no debate, right? We have the best players. In the they country. are complaining about Clemson's recruiting right now. Well, <laughs> and, and maybe they should. So it's on the other foot. But you know, I mean, we have the best recruiting class in the SEC year after year after year after year. I mean, if if I'm a if I'm an Alabama fan, I'm just like, why don't we win every year? What's going right. on, Dick? You know, it's like, why why isn't this working out? So um, again, I th- I think sometimes the unexpected stuff is what makes it fun, and I think. Uh, I think that's part of the fun in watching this is, you know, the article talked about whether Florida can build Clemson's way. I think the answer is no. I think they're going to have to build in a different way than that. Mm. Um, And it'll be interesting to see whether Mullen's able to do it. I do think that it points towards needing Felipe Franks to become special this year or needing Emory Jones to become special next year. Um, You know, there is going to need to be some significant um, covering of the holes by quarterbacks. Cause we even saw that at Clemson with Taj Boyd and Deshaun Watson and Lawrence didn't really have to cover any holes. He was sort of the last piece to the puzzle last year, but uh, you know, we've seen that with Auburn with Cam Newton and we've seen that with a few other teams as well. I mean, if you think of a Browning for Washington when they made it or Connor cook with Michigan state, when they made it to the, to the playoff. So, um, you know, that quarterback play, and that, and that really does bode well for Mullen, right? That he is he has proven his ability to take guys who aren't necessarily highly recruited and turn them into high-level high quarterbacks. And then he's also proven, I mean, I've done some work on development over the offseason here and looked at his ability to get three stars into the NFL at a much higher rate than his peers and four stars as well. And so, you know, maybe some of those four stars he's bringing in are going to perform like five stars just because of his ability. I, you know, I, I'll never say never, but I do say that from a probability standpoint, just because of the difficulty of the SEC, the battle is more uphill in the SEC than mm-hmm. it is in the ACC. And that's really, I think, what sort of comes out of when you when you look at Clemson is, you know, the path was a little bit easier for Clemson. But at this point, the path still includes Alabama, and they've been able to beat them two out of four years. So yep. um, it can be done, and they've certainly shown that, that they can do it that way. And kind of going, like, as you were saying, kind of explaining the Alabama thing and with this class Clemson is pulling in. I did ask the question Friday, um, and some people responded there, you know, good or bad for college football. Uh, but, you know, look, college football playoffs kind of getting chalky uh, a little bit. You have Oklahoma representing the Big 12 a good bit of the time. You have Alabama uh, in, in representing the SEC, Georgia uh, in the last couple of seasons, Clemson uh, for the last, you know, what, four or five years now. So, Will, you know, we – don't want to sit here and say, like you said, we, we, we like the unexpected to happen, but it's kind of recently, and you're going to look at the top of the rankings this year when they're released, college football is getting, getting a little chalky right now. Well, I mean, this isn't anything new, right? I mean, Michigan yeah. and Ohio State have always dominated the Big Ten. USC and and UCLA, maybe more recently, Oregon, have always dominated the Pac-12. And, you know, Texas and Oklahoma have always battled whatever that conference down there is called. And then Florida and Alabama have always sort of dominated the SEC with Georgia kind of being – in the background, everybody thinks they're lurking and then they fall on their face at some point along the way. But, you know, so, I mean, it's not new that there are dominant teams in college football. It's something that's happened over and over and over again. And every once in a while you have like a Colorado 
um, come to the forefront or you have a Georgia Tech come to the forefront. But most for the most part, it's Clemson, LSU, Georgia, Ohio State, Texas, Alabama, you know, Oklahoma, Florida, Oregon, Miami. I mean, Notre Dame, those are the teams that win consistently. And it just sort of runs in cycles. And so this is a cycle where Clemson and, and Alabama are happening, you know, are happen to be at, at their peaks and have coaches who've been able to lead them there. The one thing I will say is that this is the consequence of the playoff yep. that, you know, when that Alabama doesn't make the championship game in a few of the years where they've won the championship um, just because they, I mean, there are years where they lost the sec and still wound up in the playoff. And, and so the exclusion I've written about this before the, the exclusion of deserving teams to me makes for a more interesting regular season. Yep. Now you can argue about whether it's fair to exclude teams, but I don't think you can really argue whether it makes things more interesting and, and what we're finding, right. Because then, you know, Clemson's game against who was it Syracuse last year where Lawrence yeah. went out and, and they almost mm-hmm. lost becomes critical. I mean, they could have lost that game last year, still would have made the playoff. Yep. I mean, so at that point it, it means nothing. Right. Yeah. And same thing with Alabama. Right. I mean, they they could have they could have lost the SEC championship game to Georgia and then both Georgia and Alabama make the playoffs. So the SEC championship championship game essentially meant nothing other than keeping Georgia out. So, you know, again, I, I think it's a question of what do you want? And when people talk about expanding the playoff to eight teams or 16 teams, that's really what they're saying is they're saying, hey, we're tired we just, of these same teams. Well, but the problem is if you've got 16 teams, you're going to have the same 16 every year. I mean, you'll have, you you know, they'll, that's make, true. It, they'll yeah. make it to where UCF can come in and get absolutely blasted in the first round or, you know, somebody else who, you know, Houston or, or, you know, they'll have those sort of automatic bids for those conferences that we think of as inferior every once in a while, maybe they pull an upset and it's kind of cool. But if you think Texas isn't making the top 16 on a regular basis or Oklahoma is not making the top 16 or Alabama is not making the top 16, I mean, at that point, just pick the top 16 teams and play yeah. the playoff. Like, you know, because I, I'm not sure Alabama has been out of the top 16 in like 10 years in the polls. So if you're concerned about chalk, expanding yeah, the playoff really just makes it more chalky. And, and, you know, I, I think really what you're talking about is a consequence of the playoff. And because guys want to play in the playoffs, I think, and because it gives them visibility and gives them the ability to get into the NFL maybe a little bit quicker, those sorts of things, I, I suspect that that also is starting to skew recruiting towards the big guys because they get to be on a big national national stage on a consistent basis with those teams that make it all the time. All right. Uh, well, before we sign off, we'll uh, do a little uh, downturn here in the uh, Jalen Jones uh, unfortunate situation here. Uh, well, uh, unfortunate for all the parties in, involved, of course, but uh, absolutely no place for uh, sexual assault. And Jalen Jones uh, found himself in that situation. And I did a YouTube uh, video last week that after it was announced that uh, he was transferring, uh, but I didn't feel comfortable in giving out the reason. And, and the reason was because, you know, I was aware of the incident, but didn't know all the details. And uh, little did I know that it involved two females on the same night, but those two women are not pressing charges. Uh, and the case is now considered closed. Uh, so Jones was allowed to play in the, in the Gator spring game during the allegations and is now going to transfer from the University of Florida after discussions with Dan Mullen. Well, it's just one of those situations that unfortunately has to be discussed, but much more unfortunate that it happened in the first place. Yeah, you know, I still don't feel real comfortable discussing <laughs> yeah. it. But, um, you know, from the, from the standpoint of you hope that everyone who was involved gets the help that they need, I think we need to make sure we say this is alleged. Like yep. there's, not, there's nothing that's been proven here. Um, certainly, though, um, 
if if what's alleged to have happened did happen, you you hope that um, charges are brought and people are prosecuted. And if what ha what, what's alleged didn't happen, then you know someone's had their name sort of smeared for a reason that uh, you know that you know I, again i i have no idea what happened i don't have any of those sort of details and so i don't want to speculate other than to say it's unfortunate um and and i hope that everybody who's involved gets the help that they need yep uh well quickly there is a football aspect to it of course and you know we'll see uh kind of where it ends up where he ends up uh next uh if he plays somewhere uh after this but uh florida quarterback depth hits hits a little bit and uh don't, we don't know what kyle trask would do either uh, i would assume he would if he was going to leave he would already uh announce his plans as well so right now three quarterbacks on the uh, depth chart for florida going into the uh, 2019 season with franks trask and jones uh they're so good for now but uh we don't know what Trask will do after this season. So uh, with Jalen uh, not being part of the program anymore, uh, the depth may have taken a, a, a hit after next year. Yeah, well, I mean, you figure Trask can be a graduate transfer mm -hmm. after this season, and you figure Emory didn't come here to sit on the bench for another year. So depending upon how Franks plays, I think sort of dictates what happens in the in the quarterback room. Um, certainly, though, you know, you, the the assault portion of it makes you a little bit queasy, but the idea that some that you would have attrition in a class is not necessarily unheard of, right? Yeah. So, um, you know guys flame out all the time either they're not good enough or they have grade issues or they have stuff like this or they get injured and things like that which is why you sign a quarterback every class right and it's why florida's gotten in trouble a little bit in the past when they haven't signed a uh, when they haven't signed a quarterback every class where you end up with the season where you know jeff brantley gets injured and then jeff driscoll has to come in and he's not necessarily ready to play or you know you get the injury to jeff driscoll and now you've got tyler murphy back there playing so um you know murphy actually played pretty well that year but until he got injured but um you know th there's there's a reason that you sign a guy every class and you're going to see some attrition and actually it's the same thing at every position right it's one of the reasons why having bowman in there is a good thing at the running back position because if something happens to damian pierce or if something happens to iverson clement you've got a guy to step in so um i, I think that's a lot of what what we'll see, but I, it all really hinges on Franks. I mean, if Franks plays well enough that he goes to the NFL after this year, then yeah, the quarterback room starts to look pretty thin, at least in terms of experience. But again, in college, I think that's something that you just are going to run into every once in a while. It's rare to have a guy like Jake Fromm come in his true freshman year, come in the second or third game of the season, play that whole year through, lead it. And by the end of the year, George was pretty comfortable having Fromm as the guy. And then Fromm comes back and is, and played last year, and now he's going to play his junior year. Same thing with Lawrence, right? I mean, we see we see Lawrence, we see Fromm, and say, "Hey, I'd love to have that at my program." That's not really the way most programs work. I mean, most programs, you know, the guy comes in, sits his freshman year, maybe plays a little bit, comes in his sophomore year is kind of average. Junior year, all of a sudden, plays really good, maybe above average or even elite. And then senior year, you're talking about a guy who's really ready to ready to show out. So um, I think the sort of the same thing probably. You know, I don't know that we can necessarily um, count on somebody coming in and having a year like Jake Fromm um, right when Franks leaves, but I think there are some seeds for the guys who are there to say that they're going to be relatively successful in Mullen's program, and certainly a pretty significant track record for Mullen of being able to take guys who are relatively raw, relatively young, and put them in situations where they're able to succeed. Yeah, you know, well, Franks is Franks is pretty confident that, that he'll be uh, ready for the NFL draft, I'm sure, so... And we'll kind of we'll kind of see where that that leads, uh, of course. But uh, you know, with uh, another season uh, or another step up, like he just had this past season, any, anything in the realm of that uh, 
improvement. Uh, you would have to think Felipe Franks is going to test the uh, NFL waters there. And I had, a, I had a pretty big argument last week about that uh, on Twitter. So uh, we're kind of, uh, yeah, they're, uh, I'm just pretty confident in saying that Felipe Franks thinks he can be an NFL player. So there we go. I mean, he's got all the tools. Yeah. Right? I mean, from, from an arm strength standpoint and the ability to make all the throws, he's got the tools. The question is, is he going to be able to show the ability to read defenses, the ability to be accurate, all those sorts of things that uh, that you need from a guy who's going to be who's going to be an NFL quarterback. But, you know, we've seen it with Jake Locker coming coming out of Washington. I mean, he wasn't the most accurate guy, but he had a lot of tools and he went in the first round. And we've seen it with a lot of other guys who have who've gone to the NFL mm-hmm. who have who have tools and and coaches think that they can that they can turn that into production. And in many cases have. So, you know, Franks, I think we we need to give him quite a bit of credit for where he was to where he mm-hmm. where he came from to where he was last year. And if he sees the same improvement from where he was last year to, you know, to, to where he is at the end of this year, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, it's going to be a first round pick. Um, and then the question just becomes if he doesn't show quite that amount of improvement, um, you know, what does his projection need to look like for him to go to the pros? Um, you know, I look at it. Yeah. My bad. Well, good. No, I was just going to say that I, you know, I don't know what his career aspirations are. I don't, you know, if he's a top 10 pick, I think he has to go. Oh. But but if he's a third round pick, you know, do you do you go to be a backup in the NFL or do you try to become a first round pick for the next year? That's sort of where I think you'd be on the fence. And I don't think anybody sees a catastrophic year coming, but you know, obviously if that happens then he probably stays for one more. Yeah, as I'm saying, I don't I don't see the catastrophic here as long as it's not catastrophic or injury riddled or something like that. I think he's I think he's gone. And and, and part of it is if he if he doesn't take that step, I think we expect you could probably ask yourself the question, is it time to move on anyway and see what Emory Jones can do? Yeah, that's it's a little bit dangerous though when you start looking at the But put it this way, if Franks is back next year, Emory Jones is gone. <laughs> well, that's, that, that's pretty simple to figure out. Well, that may be true too. So, you know, I, I think this is one of the things, this is one of the reasons why you want to sign a guy every cycle. It's also one of the reasons why you want to be churning guys through. Like it's not a good thing to have a four year starter still on your team unless he has stayed of his own volition, not because he's ready to go. And, and I, I would actually say that while having Tim Tebow back for that 2009 year was, was an awesome thing, that if Newton hadn't gotten kicked off for the laptop stuff, he probably transfers before that year anyway, right? And so having Tebow there for the fourth year would be seen as, would be seen as a little bit of a negative at this point. Um, just because, of, you know, or if Brantley had all of a sudden come in and played really, really well for somebody else because he decided to transfer, then you might see, say the same thing. So, um, yeah, I think that there's there's always the danger, and and you've got to manage your quarterback room in a way that in a way that um, sets you up for long term success. That probably is the one thing that Jalen Jones' departure does is it limits your margin for error because if you don't have a good transition from Franks to Emory Jones. Or you don't have a good transition from Franks to Emory Jones to Anthony Richardson. If if somebody has a hiccup in there somewhere, you don't have another option, and that's probably sort of the take home from that. righty. man, we packed a lot of info in that one, Will. Yes. Stats, stats, stats. Ho- hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully it was clear. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of stats, we're working on some. Uh, you and I, uh, we had a planned Felipe Franks episode. Uh, until all this news broke uh, late last week. So uh, so we, we got some good Felipe Franks talk uh, kind of building upon what we just discussed. 
Yeah, very much so. I'm, I'm excited. I, I've been looking at some tape recently, and and I'm excited to see where he can take things. I mean, I think there are some keys that we can look at and say this is where if he improves, um, you know, we it'll be a successful it'll be a successful 2019 season. So it'll be fun to talk about that. Yeah, I'm excited. We've had, have, we have found a lot, a lot of good stuff there to, to kind of break down uh, Frank's game. It's all kind of spurned off of. There were some quarterback rankings that got thrown out a couple weeks ago and where Felipe Franks would be ranked in the SEC uh, uh, ladder, if you would say. So kind of interesting to where you would think Felipe Franks would be ranked in the uh, SEC uh, pantheon of quarterbacks. Well, every, everybody knows I'm, I'm infatuated with Joe Burrow, so as long as, long as you don't disparage him, we'll be good. <laughs> Man, there's got to be a year anniversary for that one. I think somebody. Right? <laughs> uh, I'll I'll retweet it once the year comes up from what I wrote about. Hey, I was old board too. I ain't gonna lie. I mean, it was just another arm and see what can happen. But uh, hey, it worked out. It worked out. <laughs> there you go, buddy. All right. Well, anything else? Like I said, yeah, Frank stuff coming up, and like I said, everybody uh, will just throw up his article uh, this morning, kind of detailing the the Clemson build. Yeah, and we'll be coming. Uh, you know, I am going to take a look. Last year, the beginning of May, I took a look at where Florida's class stood, um, and, and I think talked about what, that it wasn't quite time to panic yet. Um, so this year, definitely not time to panic yet. But I do want to take a look at where the class is this year versus where it was last year in a little bit more detail, and 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 sort of where that means we might expect the class to to end up. Because as much as much flack as I got for saying that that it was that we needed to at least consider the word panic, um, I do believe in that article. I kind of predicted they'd finish ninth. So, <laughs> so it, actually, I think like best case scenario was seventh, and worst case was like thirteenth. So we get, are we getting an, uh, another August first deadline? Oh man! Well, maybe I'll make it. Maybe I'll make it September first because <laughs> I would have been much closer to right if I'd have made it September first. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, it it's all fun, man. Oh like, yeah, exactly. At, at the end of the day, like I hope the best for my university. I hope they do well, and it could be worse, man. It could be Virginia Tech because I got to watch that dumpster fire too. So, man, that schedule not fun. Uh, I'm just glad we're not South Carolina, man. That, that, that I got to tell you, that was the takeaway from my article today. That that I was just sitting there going, God, if I was a South Carolina fan, I would just be dreading that schedule because like, they play like eight teams that are more talented than them, and and it's not even close, right? I mean, it's not like oh, South Carolina's ranked 23rd and they're playing the 19th. It's yeah, like, no, it's like one, two, three, <laughs> five, seven. It's like oh, like, that is just going to be. It, it's going to be a bloodbath. So. Um, it is. Will Muschamp will be breaking a whole lot of chalkboards. <laughs> I'm here for it. That'll be entertaining. Uh, that's uh, oh man, what was his saying? It's, it's uh, we'll get that fixed. We'll yeah, get, get that fixed. <laughs> All right, Will. Uh, you can find Will on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site readingreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Water. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>